Okay, good evening. We're continuing this series that we started a few weeks ago, Pirkei Avot. The truth, I lost count. We are nine or ten. We'll find out. Uh, last week, uh, last week we finished, we are in chapter four. We have all together six chapters. And in each chapter, we have few Mishnayot. Uh, we, are, uh, we finished the fourth Mishnah of the, of the fourth chapter. And this is how we finished the last lecture. That if somebody makes scenes in hidden rooms, hidden rooms, hiding when he makes the scene, if these scenes would be done publicly, it would create a big Chilul Hashem, which means disgracing the name of Hashem. Somebody like that, thinking nobody sees me, it counts like he does Chilul Hashem, so when HaKadosh Baruch Hu will reveal his sins to the world, it won't be in hidden rooms like he makes the scene. It will be publicly, the opposite. When you think that nobody sees me and you hide, when Hashem will decide to tell the world who you really are, it will be done in such an embarrassing situation that everybody will find out about it right away. It's all measure for measure. In general, all the punishments are all measure for measure. Today I'm going to continue with the fifth Mishnah. Uh, Rabbi Ishmael, his son says, Rabbi Ishmael, uh, Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka was the last one who said, Badechilul Hashem. Now his son, this is what he says. Someone who, who learns Torah, not only to know, it's an obligation. Every Jew has an obligation to learn Torah. Even the ladies have to learn Torah. What applies to them? They have to learn. They have to know the laws of uh, nida, of purity, the laws of Shabbat, the laws of blessing, the laws of kosher food, the laws of the holidays, raising children, all kinds of things, you know. They have to know the women. Cannot just go all their life without learning. Uh, but the man has a much bigger obligation. He has an obligation to learn Torah. But it's not only to learn Torah in order for you to know, which is one step. The ideal situation is to learn in order for you to teach others. Not to be called a rabbi that people will give you respect and kiss your hand and give you some money. Not for that. That will come anyway, one way or the other. If you kosher, Hashem will help you. If you're not kosher, it will also seem that you, you're successful. But eventually everybody will know who you are. But the bottom line is that the person has to know, now I know Torah. I'm not keeping it for myself. I have to teach it to my children, to my grandchildren, and mainly for other people. Uh, it's very interesting because the way the people think is, if I'm going to start teaching other people Torah, that means beginners. I'm taking a beginner and I'm teaching him alphabet, ABC. It takes away from my learning, right? If I have 10 hours a day to learn, and from that, three of that, I will, I will give to the public to teach beginners that come, to teach them the beginning of the Gemara, what the Mishnah is, how the Gemara goes, what Rashi, what's Tosfot, what's the whole idea. It takes few months to teach a student just to know how to learn. Six months, full days, six months just to learn how to learn. Nothing in the world is difficult like the Gemara. In case you ever thought that to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer or an astronaut or a jet pilot or any of those things that people admire, it's a peanut compared to Gemara. Peanuts. Nothing to compare. It's like trying to compare a monkey to a person. Uh, you take all these big shot professors and you bring them to learn Gemara one or two days, you see they will sleep a week. 
their brain will be so tired. They never, never thought in their life so difficult like you think when you learn Gemara. It's very difficult. Most of the people who learn Gemara today, it's called Shikhi, which means only from the outside. They cannot penetrate to all the secrets and all the hidden things inside. They only learn from the outside, so they're hallucinating. They're really thinking that they're understanding. But if you take somebody like that with a really good scholar to test him on a page, even he learned it four or five times, he will see so many things he didn't see. It's a matter of experience, it's many years of learning, it's how sharp is your brain, how focused you can stay. Lavdil, uh, for change, if a person is a chess player, how do you know which person is a better chess player? One who is able to hold his concentration for a longer time, which means if my uh, opponent is he moved something, now I have to think about all the possibilities. But if I think about possibility one, then I have to think about possibility two, and possibility three, and four, and five, and ten, and twenty, without forgetting all the previous ones. If I forget the other ones, it's not good. I have to remember each possibility. If I do this, what's going to happen to this one? What's going to happen to that? What's going to happen to that? It's a lot to think. Even that is nothing compared to Gemara, because the Gemara brings you three, four, five, six opinions from different places. You have to cross them to compare what does Rabbi say here, why he said in another place something different, how do you, how you explain the contradiction. All these things is very, very difficult to hold. So this is something that only comes after a few years. It's different than any other learning. You have to remember what I'm explaining here. Because when a person, when a person uh, learns math, it's also very difficult math. You have to concentrate a lot. But with math, there's nothing spiritual. The more years you learn, the more you will know. With Gemara, it doesn't work that way. There's a lot to invest in the thing, but most of the understanding that we have, it's a gift from Hashem. Remember, it's a combination of spirituality and regular physics that we learn. But there's a lot, the gift is much greater than the achievements that we have. It's not, not like uh, you learn history, you learn 10 pages, so you know 10 pages of history. You learn 20 pages, you know double. With Torah, it's like a snowball. The first hour you learn X amount, the second hour you learn a little more, the third hour a little more. Over the years, every hour becomes better quality. It's, it's like a wine, it gets better with the years. This is the secrets of this whole thing called Torah. It's the divine book that Hashem gave us. So many people think, if I give two, three hours of my time to others, that will keep me back, right? If me and my friend join the yeshiva on the same day, and we learn 10 years, and we learn 10 hours a day, if my friend learns all the time, and he doesn't give from his time to anyone, but I will give from my time, can you take care of the AC? That's working. If I give for my time, right? If I give for my time to others and my friend doesn't give, after 10 years, we're going to see a big difference between me and my friends. If three hours a day multiplied by 10 years, my friend has to know a lot more than me. The, the answer is absolutely not. Since anyway, it's all a gift that Hashem gives the learners. It's all a gift. Because to understand the secrets of the creator of the world, you have to understand that it's all a gift. If this is all a gift, Hashem decides how much He wants to give you. So if He sees that you want to give to others, then for the shorter period of time that you are learning will be much more blessed. You understand? That's why we see sometimes people that most of their day go for the public. They don't have that much time to learn, but the two or 
three or five hours of every day to learn, they achieve more than people who learn 10 hours. And not because they're smarter. The other one is also smart. It's more blessing over the years. Also, Baalei Tshuva. Baalei Tshuva is a big mystery. Nobody can explain how can it be that we see today in this generation kids 20 years old, 21, 25, they never learned Torah in their life. One day they watched DVD or they came to a lecture. Two, three months later they became Shomer Shabbos, they put feeling, they go to shul, but they feel that their soul is empty. So they want to go and learn. So they join the yeshiva, they take time out from their life. Some of them are working, some of them are taking off from school, from, uh, from work. And they want to go a month or two to see what Torah is really is. A little bit here and there that you learn by the shul doesn't get you anywhere. They want to really see the real thing, so they take a time out. Sometimes even older people, they take a time out. And they come to yeshiva for a few months. And then it's unbelievable, after a few months, you see the level that they are achieving. I remember my Rav that was learning all his life. And at that time when it happened, it was about 12 years ago, let's say. So you, at that time it was about 50. So he's somebody that learns more than 40 years Torah from morning to night. It's a lot, right? 40 years. Omonia is also a very smart person. So think about how much knowledge somebody like this has. And then he gave a one guy that was in yeshiva for two years. That's all, two years. Two years, 40 years. Two years learning, 40 years learning. Can you compare? Can you go to a court here, a secular court, take a judge that is two years a judge, and a judge that is 40 years a judge? Anybody would think to compare between them to say the two years is just as good as the 40? No. Of course, right away, they don't, don't even expect that. Same thing a teacher, same thing a doctor, same thing everything. He asked that guy that at that time was maybe 23, 22 or 23 years old, to give the shiur instead of him. He was sitting on the side, and the guy gave the shiur, and the rabbi was crying. And he said, I, I don't know if to cry or to laugh. I mean, I learned 40 years, I couldn't prepare a shiur like this. I, I, how can I, I mean, the siyata dishmaya, the help that Hashem gives to his children that make tshuva, make repentance, is beyond words, there's no way to explain. You see people are six months, and some of them didn't even go to elementary school, I mean, to high school. They went eight years, nine, ten, they were really never in school. They were on the streets, in and out. They never want to learn. They fell in almost everything. And everybody thinks, ah, this guy's a loser. He cannot learn anything. All of a sudden, six months after he comes to Yeshiva, you see what a sharp genius guy, how he learns. You bring any professor compared to him, I'm telling you, I'm not exaggerating. It would look like a monkey compared to him. Take a big shot professor, and this kid is only six months learning Mara and the professor will be embarrassed. And I'm telling you from experience, it happened many times. They come sometimes once in a while to see what it is, and they see these young guys, how they learn, they cannot believe. So now for the first time in my life, I understand what Torah is. I didn't understand what Torah, Torah, everybody talks about it. I never, if you don't see, you don't understand. So there's a special siyata dishmaya. Now, somebody who teach others, Hashem help him extra. A short period of time, he can achieve double or triple of the amount of other person. Somebody who was a bad shuva, he lost 20, 25, or 30 years of his life, he didn't learn. Since he come now to do the right thing, Hashem doesn't want him to break. Naturally, if you would see it in yeshiva five, six years, and only start to progress, 
he will lose his uh, energy. So we'll have a look at me. I joined the yeshiva at 20 years old. Five years it takes me to understand what's going on. I, I better not even start. So when they see an achievement, they get desire. You know how we say, with the food comes the appetite. When you're not hungry, but you begin to smell the food and you see all kinds of nice things on the plate, you're becoming hungry. When you see achievement, it gives you some kind of satisfaction to continue. And one guy came to the stipler. They brought him to the stipler was the previous generation chief rabbi. He was the father of Rav Chaim Kanievsky. son is one of the most important rabbis in the world in Nebrak. Hundreds of people stand online every day to talk to him for years already. His father was even greater. Big. While well, with Ruach HaKodesh, he could be in Bnei Brak and tell you what happening in a war with Egypt. Who died, who didn't die. They used to bring things to him. He, he looks up, so he was crossing some of the soldiers that they asked to blame. He said, well, Rabbi, why you made a line on his name? It's too late for him. He's already in the next world. And later they found out that at the time that they asked him to bless that soldier, he was already dead. This is the kind of person we are talking about. They brought him one student that fell into depression. That's when I get up from bed, he's in yeshiva, in a dorm. Everybody gets up in the morning, they have one hour prayer, and then they have breakfast, and they start to learn. He's in bed at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, doesn't want to do anything. They try this psychology, it's that. They, everybody talks to him, nothing. So they brought him to the stipler, so the stipler told him, I want you to write a book. You're smart enough to write a book. I said, Rabbi, what? I came to you because I have depression. You tell me to write a book. He said, I see on you that you can write a very great, successful book. Thousands of people will benefit from your book. So he told me, I want you every day or every few days you come and tell me so far what you wrote in your book. And I'll help you to publish the book. I'll give you a great recommendation. You'll be famous all over the world. And two hours later, he became a new person. So the rabbi, the rabbi who brought that student, he said to the stipend, Rabbi, let's be serious. There's hardly a beginner. What book he can write? So you don't understand. If people don't have achievements to reach, they don't have motivation. It brings them into depression. You have to make him busy with something that he thinks, oh, I'm gonna great, I'm gonna get a huge name, I'll be famous, I'll be somebody great. That will keep him going and get him out of his depression. Once he gets out of his depression, he himself will know that it's not the time to publish this book. And then I guess what? He saved the guy. Later, after many years, he really became a big rap. This will show you the beauty of the, of the thinking of these great people. You know, speaking about great rabbis, Rav Shach, also, he, he passed away 107 years old. He was the head of the Ponovich, the important yeshiva in Nebrak. One time they saw, he comes into the yeshiva, there's more than a thousand learners over there, noise. He runs, he say, where is this guy? Where is this guy? He's talking about a guy that is 20 something years old. He's a hundred years old. He comes to the yeshiva, he say, where is this guy? He says, he's over there in the corner. Why, why the Rosh Yeshiva is looking for him? Why? He said, I have a question about Rabbi Akiva Iger that I learned a long time ago. It's one of the commentaries on the, on the Gemara. And I don't remember where it is. I know he's the only one who can tell me where it is. He comes to the guy, he says, you know by any chance where is this Rabbi Akiva Iger on this Gemara? So the guy says, yes, yes, for the Rab, one second, I'll, I'll show you where it is. He goes to the shelf, he brings the Gemara. He says, here, it's right here, in this page. 
So the Rav said, oh, thank you very much. I, for hours, I, did, I couldn't remember where I saw it. And then, after everybody goes around, one of the rabbis felt something is fishy here. That's all this show. Usually, the rabbi is looking for something. He'll come to him quietly. Won't make all this noise. But that clever rabbi knew that there's something going on here. So he went to him in a lunch break. He said, Rabbi, what was this all about? So he told him, this guy went on a date, a few dates with a girl. And he liked the girl very much. Great girl, great family, beautiful girl, smart girl, righteous, everything she has. There was almost an engagement, much very close to it. And the last minute, she decided she doesn't want him. So it broke his heart to pieces. So he felt that his life is over, you know, after finally he was very close to getting engaged. So I knew that if I want to do something right away about it, in a month from now I will be completely depressed, and that's on, on the way down. So I, I asked what Gemara is learning every day. So they told me, he learns this Gemara. And I asked what page, they told me what page. So I asked the person, what did you learn this morning? He said, Rabbi Akiva Eager. So I know for sure that page he you know, because he learned it this morning. Even if you forget him, you forget what you learned yesterday. But what you learned today, you remember. So I made up this whole thing that I forgot this Gemara. And I wanted him to tell me where this Gemara is. And a thousand witnesses will see that he's an, an important scholar. And the rumors will spread all over Bnebrak. And the girls will hear that this guy, that this girl didn't want, the, head of, the chief rabbi came to ask him questions in Torah. And I will make him a reputation. Two weeks later, he was engaged with a better girl. You understand? It's not enough just to be chacham, to know the books. It's enough, it's, you have to take your wisdom and translate it into everyday action. You understand? This is it. The same Rav Shach, Erev Pesach, in Likat Chametz. The whole world is checking for Chametz, burning the Chametz, preparing for, for Pesach, preparing the ladders, the matzah. Tons of girls are coming. He took a student to a psychologist in Yerushalayim. He lived in Neibrak, took the bus two hours to each direction, Erev Chag. And he didn't go in. He asked the psychologist on the phone, can you check that boy? And he said, if the Rosh Yeshiva called me Erev Pesach, I guess it's an emergency. So I'll make an exception, even though I'm not working today. I'll, I'll accept him in my home, not in my office. So he said, okay, I'll send him with someone. But he didn't tell him that he is going to be the one who brings him with him. Because he knew if he tell him, then the psychologist won't agree. He will want to come to Bnebrak. Psychologists have many kids. He has to help his wife. He didn't want him to waste all these days. He said, no, I'll send him with someone who goes anywhere to Yerushalayim. Don't worry. So he was hiding in the backyard. However, some people passed by, somebody like this standing in the backyard, you cannot miss him. So after Pesach, in Chol HaMoed, somebody came to him and said, tell me, what happened there? The Rav Shach, the big Rav, was standing in your backyard for an hour, Erev Chag, Erev Pesach. He said, my backyard, you dreaming? No. He sent me a student from Nebrak, he wasn't in my backyard. So yeah, yeah, for a long time, standing in your backyard with the Gemara, he was learning in your backyard, why you couldn't let him in? So you were driving me crazy, don't, don't joke with me. He said, no, no, we all sleep, we all saw him. He called him up. So Rabbi, by any chance you were in my house, Erev Chag? He said, yeah, I brought the guy. He said, why didn't you come in? I didn't want you to feel bad. Because then you would say that you want to come to Bnei Brak. Now I know the whole world, they have kids, they have to prepare. I'm an old man. 
my, my kids are also old. They're all old people already. I don't have anybody to take care of. So who's the only one who has time to bring the student to the psychologist that he has depression? Only me, because I have nothing else to do. I already prepared in the morning what I need to. The few hours that I need, I'll, I'll do. You understand? The biggest lab in the world. And he saw a student has depression. He takes him with his hand and takes the bus all the way, 100 years old. And he goes to Yerushalayim to take care of him. You understand the difference between the rabbi of 20 years ago to the rabbis of today? Then you understand why the generation looks today the way it looks, and 20, 30 years ago how the generation looked. That's it. You see the difference? Based on the generations is the level of the leaders. When the nation deserves, Hashem gives them great leaders like this. When the generation doesn't deserve, you know, that's what we, what we see, you know. That's it. So we continue. So the special blessing, don't ever think that if you teach beginners or others something that you taught a hundred times, that you're losing time. Besides the reward that you're getting from teaching somebody else, that's besides the point. Quantity, quantity, you won't lose. You won't lose. Hashem will push it. Now how? How do Hashem push it? First, your learning and your memory will be more blessed. Second, you will, if he has to make your life longer, he'll make your life longer. Supposed to die age 80, it will give you extra seven, eight years for the year, for the hours that you taught others, for you to be able to get back all the hours that you gave to others. That include traveling, include repeating it, include tests, include all the things that was involved that you had to teach others. Everything Hashem will give you extra, so there's no way to lose. You get your same amount of hours of learning for yourself, plus you get the reward for teaching others not to talk about saving souls and all the rest of the things that we already discussed. So, Alomed al Menat Lasot, if you learn, we are, until now we spoke about learning in order for you to teach others. Now we are talking about another level, learning in order for you to do everything that you're going to learn. So if you tomorrow you're going to learn a law that you did not know today, as soon as you found out that that has to be done that way, you do right away. Masvikim be'ado l'ilmod, l'lamed, l'ishmor ve'l'asod. That's even a higher level. Okay, so what is it? Not only you can, you're able to learn for yourself, you'll be able to teach others, you'll be able to keep all the, the laws and to do it, which is the highest level. Rabbi Tzadok say, but you have to be very careful. Never use the Torah to gain any honor, any crown for yourself. You don't want to be the chief rabbi, you don't want to have a driver, you don't want to put an ad in a newspaper, Tzadik Balair, a righteous rabbi is coming to town, you have to make an appointment, please contact this assistant. That's not what the Torah was given for. You have to be prepared to do everything for free, for the sake of heaven, even nobody gives you the respect or the money that you deserve, because in this generation, if a lawyer comes to your house for one hour, you pay him $3,000. If a big rabbi that knows a million times better than this lawyer and is a billion times more righteous than him, will come to your house, if he's lucky, you give him $300. The lawyer will get 10 times more. Why is it? Because people, they have no idea what the Torah is. That's why the Torah, yeah, okay, he's teaching Torah. What does he do? He's a rabbi, he's teaching Torah. Plus, in the old generations, the kids, every rabbi of the kids was a giant. 
Today, only those who are not such a great rabbis, they cannot teach adults, they send them to teach kids. First grade, second grade, what? Should be the other way around. What's the most, the most important investment that we have to do in our children? If you give them the best rabbis, they would, first of all, just by looking of the way they behave, they would teach them more than the actual learning. One picture equal like a thousand words. You know, it's not, Sometimes, it, like you go to a doctor in a hospital, he gives you a speech about the importance of not smoking. By the end of the seminar, you go to the hall where you see him smoking. The whole seminar is worthless. You now gave me an hour lecture how, de how damages, uh, damaging the, the smoking to the, to the lung, to the heart, and it's dangerous and this, and then I see you smoking, what's the point? You're not effective. Same things, be a rabbi, talking about pride, talking about ego, talking about generosity, and then behaving the opposite, it wounds from the teaching. That's some of the problems we have today. Like the kids see, seventh grade, eighth grade, they see that he's teaching me beautifully. And then in a recess, everything he teach me does the opposite, right? He, talk, he teach about not to insult anyone, and in the middle of the whole class, he insulting the kid in front of everyone. So what's the point? What's the point of all that? To teach means first it applies to you. Plus, remember, most of the problem I always say comes from ego. The fact that people don't want to change, don't want to heal, don't want anybody to correct them, it's mainly from ego. If they didn't have ego, they wouldn't care if a little kid, if a little kid will tell them what to do. There was one rabbi who came to class five minutes late, and one of the kids went like this to him. So I gave him a smack in front of the whole class from the chutzpah, you know, going like this to me. And then when the, when the kid went home, his father saw that he's very depressed. He asked me what happened. He said, I wanted to show my Rebbe the, the new watch that I got for my birthday. And he gave me a smack for it. I don't know what's wrong about it. So he called up the Rebbe, he told up the Rebbe, the Rebbe said, wow, what a fool I am. That's what he wanted, to show me the new watch. I thought he's telling me that I came late to class. And if he told you that you came late to class, he affected your ego. What's the problem? So you take him later on the side, tell him that's not the right way to tell your teacher in front of everyone. You have a problem, you go and ask him quietly why you've been late. You teach us always to be on time. You ask him why you're late. You don't do it in front of everyone. Give him a snack because of that. That shows about the ego that a person can have. Now, Rabbi Tzadok warns, never use it to gain anything. Don't, don't use this as a shovel to make holes and to dig into places. Why? Because remember, the fact that you have the Torah, your reward is huge anyway. So don't use it to gain other things. What you already gain by learning, it's enough. Then, if a person used, the only reason he goes to learn because he wants to become a, a teacher or a rabbi in order for him to get a job and to make money and to be famous. Somebody like this doesn't see blessing in his learning and doesn't see blessing in his teaching. Yeah, he may become, he gets the job, he gets the salary, but he won't see, he won't see blessing. You have to understand, we, we want blessing in everything we do. When we make money, we can make a lot of money, but there's no blessing in it. Lawsuits, problems, sicknesses, uh, all kinds of accidents. The money goes out between your, your fingers. You have it, a minute later it's not there. 
if the money is blessing, even though it's very little, and in the beginning of the month, you don't know how I'm going to pay all my bills, but the little that you make is blessing. It's enough for good food, it's enough for driving, it's enough. Somehow you go, you do it, and you don't understand how a little bit blessed money bless all the other money that join it. Cursed money contaminate the entire money that comes. As the Gemara says that there used to be uh, uh, three big billionaires in the ambush uh, when the Romans uh, came to occupy Jerusalem. Now we mourn for three weeks. The 17th of Tammuz, that's when they broke the walls of Jerusalem. Three weeks later, they burned Betamikdash, which is in nine days from now, Tisha B'Av. Today's Rosh Chodesh Av. Av begins, the depression begins, sadness for the destruction of the temple. So there were three, three chief people, very important, rich people in Yerushalayim, that for three years they fed the entire city of Jerusalem for free, from the money that they have, from the saving, from the storages, from the food and water that they have. They sponsor everything. Mara said that after the destruction, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai was walking in the street. He was the president in the time of the second destruction. And he saw a girl sitting on the floor and taking the bathroom of the donkeys, you know, in the donkey the donkeys make. After it gets dry, you have grains that did not digest. So she take the wheat out of the bathroom of the donkeys. She go and wash them, of course. And from that, she grind it and make bread. A little piece of bread, just not to starve to death. So she asked him, Rabbi, Parneseni, give me some, something to eat before I die here. That's Hapur, after the three years destruction. I mean, three years ambush, and then the destruction. So he asked her, but me at? She's the daughter of this billionaire that was feeding the entire city. So he told her, uh, how can it be? Your father gave so much zaka, and this is your aunt. It cannot, doesn't make sense. So she said, he didn't give enough. He would have given a lot more. That's why I always tell people, don't be impressed by the checks that the rich people give. You have to be impressed by the percentage, not by the amount. Many rich people donate a thousand here, five thousand there, ten thousand there. It's nothing for Hashem. Peanuts. It's like a peel of a garlic. It's like giving a person a penny. Why? Compared to the millions he made this year, he's doing us a favor. He gave a hundred thousand dollars Daka. He made ten million dollars this year and he gave a hundred. I should be ashamed of himself. He didn't even give one percent of one percent of his obligation. Sometimes we find ordinary people are not rich. We make a living. Sometimes even comfortable, but they're not really what we call millionaires or billionaires, but they give from all their hearts. They look for opportunities. I know one guy like this. He make a thousand this week, seven, eight hundred dollars he wants to give for people to become religious. I'm telling you. How to believe. Sometimes you embarrass. Leave some for yourself. Say, ah, how long I'm gonna be in this world? I see what you do, I see what, what the CDs does. I, I cannot, I cannot. I'll see how I'm going to get the money. Somebody like this, give 40, 50% of his income to save other Jews, that's a hero in Shammai. Not a wealthy guy that once in a blue moon give $1,000 or 180. It's nothing. So here the same thing. Her father, with two other partners, fed the entire people of Yerushalayim for three years. But compared to how much he had, there was still nothing. 
she'd say, the, the daughter, she, I know how much my father had. What he gave looks like a lot, but he could have given a lot more. So he told her, but if he was the rabbi that made Kiddushin in a wedding, she got married to somebody also rich. So he said, okay, your father's money, gone. But what about your father-in-law? She said, his money got contaminated for my father's money. My father's money made it also lost. This is like Mara. From here we learn a few things. One, if you don't give enough, don't think you're generous. You have to give what Hashem said. That's one thing. Second thing is, you have to be very careful who you make partnerships with. Because if you're an honest person and your money is clean, you're not a thief, but you get into partnership with a thief, a crook, somebody who steal money from all kinds of uh, bankruptcies and from the government, his curse on his money can make your money also curse. You gotta be very careful. Same thing in marriages. A kosher woman, she marry a guy that has money, she got blinded by his nice car and house, and in the meantime he gets the money in an unkosher way. She could be righteous until that day. Once she married him, she's a partner with him in all his crimes. Especially if she knows that he continues to do it and she's silent. She's not stopping him. Women has ways to get what they want from their husband almost always. The problem is that they keep their arguments for not important things, for another diamond ring and another vacation. They should keep their energy for the real arguments. Why you don't go to learn Torah? Why you continue to cheat? Why you continue to charge interest from this going? Why you threw that widow to the street when you know she cannot pay the mortgage? Or the rent, whatever. This is the real argument. You understand why you don't behave nice to your workers? Why you take advantage on the salespeople? Why you cheat them on a commission? We don't find women fight with their husbands about these things. We only find them fighting about something that is good for her own stomach. What steak we gonna eat tomorrow? What vacation we're gonna have next week? What car you going to get? I told you the story about the car, no? One woman wanted a fancy car, and her husband doesn't want a fancy car. He said, ah, it's not good to attract attention. All the rabbis gonna knock on my door for donations. I Right now, nobody knows that we're very wealthy. I drive this, gar you know, garbage car. Like this, it's better. All the years we managed. The wife said, no, we already made so much money, I'm tired of this car, I want a nice car. So they argue, so they went to Rav Steyman. Rav Steyman, 97 years old, he took the place of Rav Shach, that I told you before about it. So Rav Steyman asked him, he said, so you don't want to get a good car, because you're afraid that people will be jealous with you, right? Okay. Uh, did you finish the Talmud? Did you finish the whole Gemara? Can I test you in the whole Gemara? The guy said, no, Rabbi, of course not. He said, okay, okay, one Gemara, like Shabbos, Brachos, Sanhedrin, can I test you on one Gemara from the beginning to the end? One. He said, no, Rabbi, no. Okay, okay, forget one whole Gemara. One chapter in a Gemara. Chapter, no, 10, 20 pages. Chapter, can I test you on any chapter in the Shas, in the Talmud? A whole chapter, Rabbi? No, no. Okay, okay, forget about the whole chapter. One page, one page from the top to the bottom, with all the opinions, commentaries on the page, Rashi, Tosfot, can I test you on one page? Like to see if you know one page very good. 
Sarabai, even one page, I'm not so sure. I know it may be a difficult test, but you might be well So no, you can buy any car you want. Nobody has a reason to be jealous with you. <laughs> go, go buy any car you want. You worry if people will be jealous with you. You're a dead person. Worry about it. Ah, they're going to like my house. They're going to like my car. They like my watch. They'll be jealous. They make me eye in a row. <laughs> You're a dead person. What are you doing in this world? You didn't gain anything. Hashem put you here for for something, and you're completely busy with nonsense. You don't know one page. One page? How are you going to come to the court of heaven? The most important mitzvah in life for a man to learn Torah. He was here 70, 80, 90 years, and he doesn't know one page. No. He worried maybe people would think that his car is too fancy. You understand how smart he was? He wanted to shake him up. You worry about people would be jealous with you. First, go and learn. Maybe there will be something to be jealous with you. But this is the idea. So, someone who enjoyed from his level in Torah, people give him respect, everybody praise him, they write about him, they show him in the newspapers and all, etc., etc. Notel chayav min haolam. He's eliminating his life. He's taking away his, his life, the next life, life of eternity, it takes away all his glory. Because the glory is meant for there, not for here. Using it here, making you lose it over there. Rabbi Yossi says, someone, everyone who respects the Torah, he himself automatically gets respected by other measure for measure. If Every time you see people who know Torah, he gives them respect. If they come to his home, he treats them like kings. If there's somebody needs help, he needs a ride, he doesn't wait for him to call him. Oh, Rabbi, you in town? Where are you? Let me come pick you up. Do you need a ride somewhere? Do you need help? Do you need names of people to go? Maybe you can help your yeshiva. Or, or you need a place to sleep, to learn. This is the type of guy. First of all, Hashem will take care of him, that everywhere he go, people will give him extra respect than what he deserves. That's number one. Number two, when he wants to marry his children, he's going to get very good shiduchim for his children for respecting the Torah. Why? Because he didn't do it to that rabbi because he liked his eyes, or he liked the car that he came with. That's not what it's all about. Why a person run to respect the rabbi? Because the rabbi knows Torah. So he loves the Torah. Right? The rabbi knew all kinds of nonsense. He wouldn't give him respect. The rabbi that comes and he, he breaks that he knows all the names of all the baseball players in the league. Anybody is going to give him respect for that? Maybe the reforms. But the Orthodox Jews, they care if the rabbi knows the name of the sport, or he knows about cars, or he knows about clothing, or he knows about diamonds. For that, nobody gives him respect. Why people give him respect? For knowing Torah, because they love the Torah. That's it, there's no other explanation. So I shouldn't say, oh, you love my Torah? Measure for measure, I like you, I'll take care of you. All measure for measure. And someone who disrespects the Torah, mechalel et Torah, makes the Torah like weak, like regular learning, eh, it's nothing for me. See, it's, you know, not in a proper way, making jokes while he's learning, answering the phone every two minutes, going every five minutes for cigarettes, coffee is not hot enough, he goes back to the kitchen, if we learn, we learn. Another telephone, okay, close the book, we'll continue tomorrow. That's called mechalel ta-Torah, disrespecting the Torah, and automatically we'll get a lot of disrespect for other people. The next, uh, the next Mishnah, 
רבי ישמעאל סז, החוסך עצמו מן הדין. You know, what does it mean, החוסך עצמו מן הדין? Someone who can, is knowledgeable that he is able to be a dayan, a judge in a court, that he said, why should I go and be a judge? There's other people, they are greater than me, or they're just as good as me. Let them be the judges. Why should I run and judge between people's life or people's money? No, I stay humbled in my corner. I'm not, I'm not running to be a judge. So somebody like this, Forek Mimeno Eva. Eva, you know, is saving, is saving to himself enemies. Because judges has a lot of enemies, especially today in Israel, every judge has a bodyguard, you know. They put bands in their cars for every little thing. All the judges live in fear. Serious, 100%. They already killed two of them, and uh, all kinds of things are happening, you know. So, so they live with fear. So the more you're judging, the more enemies you have, right? If a judge gets killed, what's the first thing the police does? They go and check all the cases he judged recently. The more recent the case is, the more chance these people are high and suspect. If it's a case from 20 years ago, the guy was holding himself 20 years from not killing this judge, most likely he didn't wake up now and decided to kill him. But if it happened two weeks ago, oh, this guy's blood is still boiling. So it's the first, it's the first suspect. So what the police does, tap their phone, follow them, to see what they do, until they, they have recording that they confess that they killed the judge, or they have something to do with that, or they hire somebody, right? So you see, the more you judge, the more enemies you have. So why do you want to be a judge? There's nobody else to be, you're, you're obligated. No, nobody knows right there. Even any one of you, you know a little Torah. One day you come to your cousin's little place, there's no rabbi there, Shabbat. Nobody knows what to do. You have to tell them what to do. Yeah, but I'm not a rabbi. Fine, but you... You are the better, the best option right now. If you don't say anything, they will do completely the opposite. At least with you, they'll make less scenes, no? So, also, Gezel and Shvuat Shav. What does it mean? Gezel is stealing. Shvuat Shav is false swearing. Okay, so, something like this, somebody like this, he saved himself from stealing. Why stealing? Judges can make mistake. Reuven sued Shimon. Shimon is innocent. And he makes Shimon pay money. So now the money that Shimon paid there was a complete stealing. He didn't, he didn't have to pay. The judge made a mistake. Because of him, Shimon lost money. So that's the judge, even though he didn't do it on, on purpose. But if he checked carefully enough, this mistake would be prevented. And stealing would not occur. Also, sometimes they make the... the, the a defendant lied with the name of Hashem on a Torah for something that they're not allowed to, to swear. They make them swear. So the judge, it's a big risk. I always say to myself, if I would be knowledgeable enough to be a judge for a billion dollars a day, I wouldn't agree. Why? You know what it is? One mistake in your decision, you mess somebody's life. I'm, I'm not talking a religious uh, judge right now. Religious judge, put it aside for a minute. Judge is in court. Sending a person to prison, you come to Shamayim, you find out that that person was innocent. Never murdered. You put him 25 years in prison. His wife left him. His children went into crime. 
they went into drugs, they themselves became murderers. Such a chain reaction from your mistake, you come to Shamayim, even a secular judge has to pay for it. Why? Laziness. He didn't read all the details, because you know, I'm, I'm telling you, judges do not read even 10% of the papers that they get. Retired after years. They just read briefly. But sometimes it could be one word that changed life and death. Who wants a job like this? Who wants, especially these days, you have to walk with a bodyguard, he sits by your bathroom when you're going. What kind of life is this? Two things I don't understand why people want to be, judges and Hollywood celebrities. Everywhere you go, you need bodyguards. You want to walk on the street, you have to call the store. I want to come at 10 o'clock tonight. Would you open the store for me? Why? He cannot go normally during the day and buy himself a jacket. He can't. He has to come quietly when, the, when all these photographers are not around. He has to put customs, sunglasses at 10 o'clock at night, baseball hat, dress, come to the back, back door. What's all this? To be famous. What for? I have no privacy. Then, agas libo beoraa, someone who teach, but he feels, oh, I'm a big shot, look, everybody needs me to teach them. So it's called gas ruach. Gas, ego, he has a lot of ego. Somebody like that is considered shote. You know what shote in Hebrew means? Not shote with taf. Shote with tet. What's the difference? Shoteh with taf is shoteh drinking. Shoteh with teh, it's a fool. It's a fool. You understand? Like for instance, the Torah used the word fool to all kinds of cases. For instance, people who eat a lot. People all day looking to nash. What's to nash? What's for snack? He just finished the meal <laughs> 10 minutes ago. He's already thinking, I'm in the mood for something salty. I'm in the mood for something sweet. How about the beer? How about the uh, whiskey? How about this? How about that? Reminds me, I have to drink. <laughs> so, what is it? It's called shote. Why? Why is it? Because it shows that this person doesn't understand the concept of life. There are two kinds of people in this world. There are people who came to this world. They live to eat. And there are people who eat to live. You have to choose which side you want to be. If you're in the side that lives to eat as much as possible, let's go to this restaurant, let's go to that chef, let's go to this, they have catalogs of food. Even when you learn Torah, let's learn something that involves with food. Eh? His whole life is around food. Somebody like this, what's the point, you know? And somebody who eats in order for him to live, it's very good. Because that's what Hashem wants. Okay, now we continue. It says like this. The next Mishnah, the, the eighth Mishnah of this chapter, it says like this. Never judge by yourself. Don't be alone and judge. Because you need always minimum three judges. We're talking about basting. And don't force people to accept your opinion. You say your opinion, they want to accept it, fine. Don't force it. You understand? So what does it mean? It means like this. Sometimes the three judges are sitting. You say he's guilty, and another judge says he's not guilty. Now the third judge has to come and decide who is right. So you do everything you can to force him to go on your side. Remember I went to your side in the other case, 
Don't do it to me. I'm right. You have to accept it. How do you know? Give him a chance to judge on his own. Maybe you see the truth. Two people decided not guilty. One decided guilty is a higher chance is not guilty. But if you persuade him in all kinds of ways, deceiving him in all kinds of things, that's obviously not the proper thing. The next Mishnah, Mishnah 9, in this chapter, this is it. Rabbi Yonatan says, Kolam kayen Torah me'oni. Everyone who devotes his life to the Torah out of poverty. He doesn't have money for buses. He cannot afford anything. You know, oh, it's very difficult for him. Even he cannot afford to buy books, so he always borrows from this library. He learns and returns. When everybody else goes to the store, they buy whatever books they need, and they learn. They write whatever they want. He doesn't have, so he has to borrow from here, to learn, return. To borrow again, to return. Someone who learns out of poverty, so fall a koimami osher. Someone who either learns from poverty, guarantee not to live this life with wealth. He's going to live this life for sure wealthy. There's another explanation to this. Someone who sponsors Torah when he's poor, he's not a rich person, he's a worker, he works for somebody. He makes a living, hardly. But he gives to the Torah, guarantee that he won't leave this world out of wealth and convenience that he will be able to give a lot more to the Torah. Why? Hashem sees that he gave the Torah when he had nothing, so he, somebody like you deserves to give when you have a lot. And the proof is Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was so poor and he married the princess, Rachel, the daughter of Kalba Savua. She came from a mansion with servants. She took him 40 years old, divorced, an alphabet, doesn't know anything, not chacham, not nothing, which is so that he has great midot, great personality. Humble, nice, shy, don't look to people's eyes. She liked things about him. And she told him, if I marry you, you promise me that you go right away to learn Torah? I'm not marrying you to be with you and chat every night. No. <laughs> but if I get married to this guy, I won't be able to see him at night. What, I'm going to be with the kids alone every night? What kind of life is this? She said the opposite, make sure I don't see you any night in now. <laughs> you go, in the old days he didn't have cars, he left the yeshiva and come back. You had to go, you go for years. You went 24 years out of home, you came back in 64. 64, with thousands of 24,000 students with him. And when she came to accept him, to welcome him, they said, hey, where are, you, where are you going, woman? You not belong here, it's all the men section. I wanted to see that rabbi there. She doesn't say I'm his wife, move, chutzpanim. Move, who are you? No, <laughs> comes like this. No, I wanted to see the rabbi, they push her away, but he saw her. Everybody move, move, let her pass. So he says, see her, all the Torah of me and all the Torah of all of you together, it's hers. She forced me to go to the yeshiva. When I was four years old, I came to the kindergarten, they learned alphabet. All of a sudden, you see a man with a beard, four years old. He sits there with the alphabet, alphabet. That's how he started. Everybody laughs at him. He gave up. She told him, take the donkey. She took a plant. She puts it on the back of the donkey. She said, I want you to go in the market all day back and forth with the donkey. He said, what is this? I don't think I'm a fool. So that's exactly the point. So everybody laughs at you for the first day. Second day, 80%. Third day, 40%. By the end of the week, nobody would laugh at you. They get used to you. You see that all this embarrassment, 
It's only temporary. That's what happened. First day everybody left. By the seven days, they sit with him and drink coffee. Nobody cares that he walks with the donkey all day with the plant. <laughs> they got used to him. So that's how he went to yeshiva, and the rest is, he became the greatest Jew ever lived. The greatest Jew in history, Rabbi Akiva. And his father was a goy, convert. Convert, converted, and he's Ben, ben Gerim, the son of a convert. So this is it. So what Rabbi Akiva? Rabbi Akiva got wealth from six different sources. Even the wife of Taunostropus, the Caesar of, of Israel, she married him. She converted and married him. Beautiful woman. She converted and brought all the wealth of the Roman Caesar to him. And then he found the treasure. Six different things. His father-in-law made a nether that he doesn't, is, uh, is disowning his daughter. Threw her out of his uh, will, and then he wanted to open his nether. He made a vow. 24 years later, he comes to him. He didn't recognize him after 24 years. So he told him, You know, I, I want to regret. I said to my daughter that she won't get a penny for my money. And he said to him, Tell me if you knew that your, your daughter's husband knows some Torah, would you make that vow? So, of course not. Even if he knew one page, I would be happy. She went and took a complete ignorance. He doesn't know how to read. Such an insult. So what happened? He told him, I'm your, your son-in-law. This is me. Right away, he gave him half of his wealth. That was the richest guy in Israel. Half of his wealth he gave him. Then five different sources, he became the richest person in the land, Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva. Started when his wife, when he took her, she was a princess, but there's no money. So he made her a house from straw. You know straw that they feed the horses? He took the straw and he made like an igloo. Igloo with snow, igloo with straw. And she sits at home and he said, one day if I'll be rich, I buy you a jewel. It's called Jerusalem, Yerushalayim Shazab, Jerusalem of gold. You know the image of Jerusalem, beautiful jewel that the ladies used to have. So <laughs> if I be rich, I have money. After he went away, she was depressed at home, no money for nothing. She said to me, wow, wow, what life I had. I, I lived in a palace with servants, look at me now, my hair is full of straw, I sleep on straw like a horse. She's so depressed, Hashem said, Eliyahu Anabi. And the custom of a poor person. He comes and says, I'm so poor, maybe a woman, maybe you have some mercy on me, give me some straw. She said, you cannot afford to buy straw. I said, no, you have so much straw, you're a rich woman, give me some. I gave her some straw, so she felt great. That's what I always say. Wealth and poverty comes from what you think about yourself, not from how much you have, because you're always poor compared to someone, and you're always rich compared to someone. You have to choose who you want to compare yourself to. You want to compare yourself to Bill Gates, you're always going to be poor. You want to compare yourself to somebody who hardly has money for food, you're a millionaire compared to you. You eat good, no? You have a nice uh, thing to dress, uh, you have a nice car, you have a watch. So many people cannot afford it. Why, why are you comparing yourself to all these big shots on the news? You think their life is better than yours? Guaranteed or not. So, everyone who has money and doesn't go to learn is busy. I'm busy, businesses, convention, well, I have time. You learn from me, Rabbi. Or, there's two translations, two explanations. One, 
He's wealthy and he doesn't go to re to learn for sure will not die before he will become poor. Guaranteed. He has to be poor before he dies. You did, when you had money, you didn't go to learn. I'll take away your money. Now you're going to feel that you want to learn and it really will be difficult for you. The other explanation is that he has a lot of money and he doesn't give for the Torah. Hashem said, okay, all these years you had money and you didn't give to my Torah. They begged you, help here, help this yeshiva, help this rabbi. You didn't care. Why do I need you to have this money? He takes away all the money. Now, all of a sudden, he wants to leave after he lost everything. One time, there's a big organization of Kirov, and they, they made a dinner, annual dinner. So there was one wealthy guy that everybody know he lost all his money this year. So the rabbis with the people, the secretaries, they're thinking, now what should we do? Should we invite that ex-wealthy guy to the dinner or not? If we don't invite him, he's gonna say, look, they only knew me when I was rich. Now when I'm poor, nobody cares about me. If we will invite him, he will be embarrassed in front of all the rich people that donate so much money, and everybody would look at him that this year he gave nothing. So it's a no-win situation. So the rabbi told them, what does the Torah tell us when we do not know which turn to make, right or left? To stand pause, to pause yourself, that's it, I'm paused. I don't go right, left, I don't know. Maybe right is poison, maybe left is poison. I'm standing in my situation until Hashem will clarify my doubt. Do not do anything. Don't call him, don't send invitation. Let's see what's gonna happen. The day before the dinner, they get a call from this guy. I did not get my invitation this year, he asked. So the woman said, oh, hold on, let me check. She runs to the rabbi, rabbi. The guy is on the phone, he wants, he wants to come tomorrow to the dinner. So the rabbi picks up the phone, how are you, shalom aleichem, yeah? Hey, rabbi, how come I didn't get an invitation? Oh, you know, I'll tell you the truth, I didn't really know what to do with you. He told him the doubt. If I invite you, maybe I'll embarrass you. If I don't invite you, you get a fair. I didn't know what to do, so I said, Chef, I said still. So now when you call me, I got my answer, what I have to do. So of course, you are invited. If you want to come, you get be guest of honor. So he said, but what about the speeches? Will I speak this year also? Or you didn't include me in your schedule? So the rabbi said, I, I told you, I didn't want to embarrass you. What's the point of making you speak when everybody knows your situation? So no, I insist to speak. So he said, but you sure it's necessary? He said, not only it's necessary, I want to be the first one to speak. Not in the middle, not in the end. I want to start in the evening. So the rabbi has gratitude to him over the years. Gratitude is very important in religion. A person has to be gratitude. Asir toda, not kfui toba. So he said, okay, if that's what you want, I'll try to find five minutes to push you in. The rabbi is very nervous. Wow, what's going to happen? So he gets on the stage. He says, everybody here wondering, what am I doing here, the first speaker of the night? Everybody read about my situation in the news. I lost all my money. I'm broke. I'm bankrupt. It's all true. Today, I really want to give donations, but I cannot give even $100. Nothing. So why am I doing it? I came to encourage each one of you to give a lot more than what you wrote in your checks. Don't be shy. Add some zeros to the check. Why? I'm eating my heart for one year every moment that the previous years I didn't add zeros to saving Jews. If I did it then, 
I wouldn't lose the money. At least I had the reward for eternity. Now I don't have the souls and I don't have the money. Give now and you can give. Maybe next year you'll be in my situation. You don't know what Hashem plans for you. Right now you have. Don't hide it under the pillows or under the ground. Give to what Hashem said to give because whatever you give, you earn forever. It's yours. It's saving. It's wire expressed to your Olam to your next world. Everybody adds heroes to the chair. It was the best fundraising they ever had. The rabbi came to him and said, why didn't you tell me that that's what you want to say? I, wouldn't, I would sleep at night at least. All night I didn't sleep. Everybody cried. It opens their heart. They gave a lot. If a person knows that in one week the government is about to freeze and take all his assets, and the only way to do something with his money is frozen, the government only allowed him to give donation to a charitable cause. Wouldn't he give everything to charity? Why? Leave it in the bank. Let the government take it. No. If I'm already losing it, I might as well do mitzvot with that. That's wrong thinking. You have to think before. Like everybody who gets a ticket, he thinks where this money goes to. Goes to the drug addicts. Go to the people who sit on the street drinking beer all day and play domino cars. <laughs> you have to pay the child support. You have to pay here, you have to pay there, you have to pay to all these thieves that sit in, a, in all kinds of offices and steal all the tax money. So after they get the ticket, what's the first thing comes to their mind? Ah, what a shame. Better I give it to Tzedakah. Now it goes to garbage hands. At least they'll go to holy hands. Why didn't you think like this before? That's the question. So everybody who can afford and doesn't do will get to days that he will not be able to afford and the other way around. The 10th mission of this chapter, Rabbi Meir says, don't make your business the main thing in your life. It's important to make a living. It's important. That's your efforts. But it's much more important the business of the Torah. It should be your whole life. The wife, the husband, the kids. The whole thing is around Torah. When you eat, when you walk, when you finally took a vacation, you go somewhere. What do you think the rabbis that go to the mountains do all day? Sit with the Gemara, next to the lake or somewhere, with the Gemara, enjoying and learning all day. And a little bit di different atmosphere. Instead of the building of the yeshiva in uh, Brooklyn or Queens or whatever it is, they land in a mountain. A little bit quiet. Then what do they go to play tennis? What's vacation of a rabbi? Sitting and learning all day, same thing. So Rabbi Meir says, Don't make business all your life. Put some time in it, but don't let it kill you and take over all, everything of your life. Have time for your wife, for your children, for family. Asok Torah. Make the Torah your whole business. The Gaon Mivilna did not see his daughter for 50 years. 50 years. He didn't know if she's alive or not. There's no telephones 250 years ago. No internet, no text. The whole world in one second is in your hand. No. No, he doesn't know. She's alive. One day she showed up. They were in the 70s already. 50 years you didn't see her. What would you do if 50 years you didn't see your sister and finally she knocks on the door? Wow, it's so excited. Oh, you like, you know, Holocaust survivors. In Israel, many of them met. What would you do? Let me make you tea, eat. Did you eat? Hugs, crying, sitting for a week. What happened? Tell me what happened to you in the last 50 years. Who did you get married? How many children you have? The Gaon Mivina got up. 
you say, my dear sister, I'm very happy you're alive, you made it to this age. We will meet in the next life. There's a lot to do in this life. I don't want to waste more time. I'm very happy for you. The one back into his room and it's okay. You understand? Why? When you connect it to the Torah, you don't let anything disturb you. You don't care about me. For instance, I say to people, every wedding that's out there, he runs to be the first one. Who say you have to go to every wedding? Who says? Your sister, your brother, yes. Cousin that you see once every 10 years, or he's from Zimbabwe, all of a sudden he gets married, now you remember him? You have to go to the wedding? You have to take a plane to Florida? What for? What's the hours that you're going to lose? Airports, this, until you get there, not to talk about the modesty problem, and the bad music they're gonna play there, and if the food will be kosher, eh, all these problems I'm not even talking about. I'm talking real orthodox wedding. Who's to say that every wedding you have to go? Today, Every wedding is the first one. Every bar mitzvah is the first one. Every night of the Sheva Brachot he has to go. Not once. Once is not enough. Today is going there, tomorrow to Lakewood, tomorrow to Lakewood. If we're going to go to all these uh, events, when are we ever going to be able to learn Torah? Think about it. You're always going to have what to do. Parents conference tonight, tomorrow Sheva Brachot, the next day bar mitzvah. Especially if you're popular and many people know you, every day you get two invitations. The whole life will go from one party to another. And then there's a shiva call, then there's a funeral, then there's a brit. No time for anything. I remember I called Rabbi Rav Pam, Zecher Tzadik, the Kadosh Chief Rabbi of the United States, Rosh Shiva Torah Vadat. I met him in the airport. We landed in an emergency landing, we sat for seven hours in Cleveland. I had a chance to talk to him a few words. Don't think that these people have time to chat, believe me. It was very difficult to, to speak to him 30 seconds. And the seven or eight hours that we were together, plus the two more hours flight back to New York, maybe 30 seconds we spoke. I offered him a drink, I disturbed him from his learning a little bit, and in the end he gave me a bracha, and that was the end of it. So when I called him one day to invite him to be a sandak for my son that was born, the first son, punishment for him to be Sandak. <laughs> and then I didn't understand yet. I told him everybody is dying to be a Sandak, they're offering money, it's Tikkun Abrit, it's Gula Lashiut, maybe make more money, it's blessing, all the bad mitzvah. It's a punishment for him. He said, yeah, every day they're offering him free for like this every day. He wants to learn Torah. He doesn't want to be disturbed with all kinds of... <laughs> you understand? If every day is going to go, Sandak here, Sandak there, Sandak there, Mesader Kiddushim here, Mesader, when is going to learn? Comes to Olam Abba, Hashem says, yeah, you did a few hundred mitzvot. You were rabbi in this wedding, you were rabbi in that breed, but you missed billions of mitzvot in the time that you went to do one or two. Every time you went to a wedding, you lost three, four hours of learning. Don't get me wrong, some weddings are emergencies, family, I say, brother, sister, but not everything is Yarek Velo Yavor. We're not talking that there's a gun to your if you don't show up. No, 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 this is it. I know one rabbi, he doesn't go on purpose to get registered in Misrat Adatot in Israel because he doesn't want to be in Sadr Kiyushi. One time I want to ask him, before I know, I want you to be in Sadr Kiyushi, you know, my friend is getting married, 
want you to be the rabbi who makes the kiddushin, the tuba, everything. So he told me, even if I want, I can't. They don't recognize me here. I'm not registered by the government, in the office. I'm not one that is entitled to be a rabbi. So, you know, they ask him, who married you? They say my name, they don't recognize my name. So I told him, I didn't you do such a thing. Say, that's my only way to prevent going to my students' hatuna. Because every night, one of my students get married. Every night. Thousands of students. Every other night, somebody gets married. So every one of them would want me to be the rabbi who makes the kiddushin. When would I have time? So I told him, but you make some parnasa, no? Your parnasa is so tight. He said, oh, I leave. I need my parnasa to come from weddings. That I go, that they give me 200 shekels. And I will never be able to learn. So he did not get the certificate. Because if he said, if I'll go to one hatuna of my student, that's it. Now I have to go to all of them. But it's not fair. Why to him yes and to me no? So it's better never to go once. Why it's what's on his mind? How do I learn more Torah? You understand? This is the level that the Jew has to reach. That I'm not here to go dance in parties. Like everybody thinks. Mitzvah, Rabbi, big mitzvah, Nasat Kala. Yes, very nice, very nice. Mitzvah. But to learn Torah is about a billion times more important. You understand? Also a woman needs to go give birth. There comes to the yeshiva, who volunteers to take Miriam to give birth? Her water broke, she must be taken to the hospital. The one who will say, I'll take her, is the biggest fool. Why? You're going to make a mitzvah that will take you now three hours to go to the hospital, to be there with her until they take her and all this, until it's over, until you come back, three hours. The three hours, you lose. We once calculated how much mitzvot a person does in one hour of learning Torah. 200 words in a minute, five letters in each, in each word, so it's a thousand letters in one minute, which is a thousand mitzvot. Each letter is a mitzvah. Thousand mitzvot a minute. One hour is 60,000 mitzvot. Three hours, 180,000 mitzvot. 100% guaranteed in your five. Who is the fool that wants to give $180,000 and to work three hours to make a dollar? You know somebody like this in the world? Come, I want to invest $180,000 and after three hours of work, driving, running, going up, going down, I'll make a dollar. <laughs> With money, everybody understand. What, what, what? They want me to give $180,000 of my money in order for me to make one dollar? But when it comes to mitzvot, the satan is a genius. Take her, take her. She needs to give birth. Go, it's a big mitzvah, of course. The satan is interested. You close the book for three hours and go. So you ask me, so who's going to take her? The cab driver. Pay the cab. What's the big deal? So you pay $50 for the cab. Better for you than to close the book for two hours. The Mara said two people sit and learn Torah. One is facing the lake, one is with the back to the lake. And somebody is drowning in the lake, and the one who saw it had to jump and go save him. And he took him out of the lake and saved his life. And he saved his life. So everybody said, how lucky you are. You had the chance to save the life of a Jew. The Gemara said, got punished. He, he was punished. Why? The fact that he sat with his face to the lake and he had to see it and he had to run and save it, he had to, he had no choice. It's because nefesh. But you should see that Hashem punished you, not give you a reward. To close the Torah 
and to run for 10 minutes and save someone's life and come back, it's not uh, uh, gaining, it's losing. Nobody understands what the value of the Torah, that's why they wonder, they look at me like I'm a zombie. Like this, I see all your faces. Uh, what is he talking about? 100% valid. To lose one minute of Torah is a bigger loss than the opportunity to save a life of a drowning person. However, if you save his soul, that's a different story. Saving the soul, it means making him religious. Now, from now on, every mitzvah he does goes to your prophet. He puts filin, he can't like you put filin. He learned Torah, it can't like you learn Torah. He did Kiddush, can't like you did Kiddush. His children, one day will do mitzvah, they'll go to yeshiva, they'll learn all day Torah. Each one of these children is like you learn Torah. They have seven children, ten children, seventeen children, twenty-three children. They're all in Talmud Torah. It's, it's count that you duplicated yourself to 24 bodies. And then if you made another mishpacha, another family religious, it's another 10 bodies. And another family, it's another 15 bodies. Before you die, Hashem said, wow, there is a million uh, uh, Yitzchak Cohen. Oh, Hashem, only one. No, here, this is Yitzchak Cohen. This is Yitzchak Cohen. Why? Who are they? Remember once you made his parents religious 20 years ago? Those seven are the children, and those 70 are the grandchildren. And those 400 are the grand-grandchildren. Look, they're all learning Torah, they're doing mitzvot, each one of them is you. Why me? Because you saved their father and the mother. You made them Shomer Shavez, you made them put the kids in yeshiva, every one of their mitzvah goes to your account. That's a different story. Saving a life of a person, especially if he's not tzaddik, and he does, he does more, more mitzvot, more sins, Later, he would hold you responsible. He would say, why did you save me? So what do you mean? I had an obligation to save you. You were drowning. So he said, I wish you wouldn't save me. Why? I would die 30. Now I died 70. 40 years of sins I have to pay because of you. <laughs> he said, are you blaming me for saving your life? Say, yeah, I wish you wouldn't see me. If I knew then that you're saving me, that now I have 40 years of sins to pay, and every one of the, of the sins is a tremendous payment, tremendous punishment, I would fight with you. I wouldn't let you save me. I wouldn't let you save me. I would throw stones at you as long as you don't jump and save me. To save me, if I become righteous, it's good. To save me, if I stay mechalel Shabbat and eat uh, non-kosher and make sins every hour, what's the point of saving me? make my Gehenom deeper? What's the point? But people don't see the picture. You talk, you talk, and you repeat, and again, it's worked for five minutes. Five minutes later, they go back to their cheeseburger. What happened? We rather forget it. Rabbi, Rabbi, don't be fanatic. Let me enjoy. My life was relaxing. Every two weeks I go to vacation, I play golf, I go with my friends, we sit by the boat. Why you came now, you're ruining my pleasure? <laughs> it's like telling the doctor, doctor, I enjoy my golf with friends every day, smoking my cigar, eating my caviar, going around with my wife on the yacht. Why are you telling me now that my heart is about to die any minute and I need an open heart surgery? Why you came to ruin our mood here? Why is such a... Ugly fanatic doctor, don't tell me these things. The player is dead. The idea is you have to appreciate somebody who comes tells you the truth about yourself. You don't want to do, it's your problem, your choice, nobody forces you. But at least appreciate, acknowledge, give him some honor. Oh, you know, 
I appreciate that you really want to help me. Today it's the opposite. As soon as you tell someone, why are you driving on Shabbat? It's a shame, it's a big disaster. It's, oof, again you came. No, I don't want to hear this. Don't tell us these things. You, if you want to tell us what to do, don't live with us. We rent you a room, leave the house. The kids tried to make their parents religious. Their parents look at their kids like they're enemies. He's crazy. He's telling me to wash my hands before I bread. I don't want to hear this. All my life I did what I did in Iran. Now they come and they tell me what to do. We're also religious in our way. Rabbi, I'm religious in my way. When we were in Russia, the rabbi was driving with a car and coming to Shabbat. Now he's telling me not to drive. All kinds of stories that you hear, you don't know if to laugh or to cry. So, one other thing Rabbi Meir say, not only put all your life in the business of the Torah, and not the nonsense business. Make sure that you are humble down to earth in front of every person. Never think, okay, from that person, I'm less than him, so I'll be humble. But that loser? No, I'm going to show him who's the man here. You're not going to tell me what to do. You know, you're under me, so you at work sometimes you find things like this. No, look at every person that is better than you. What for? Why to start the fight? Why ego, ego, ego? Put yourself down. If you don't learn Torah when you are able to learn Torah, right? What's going to be? Hashem will never leave you alone. Ticket, court hearing, doctor's appointment, the driver's license is lost, your credit card are lost five hours with customer service, your uh, telephone, the, the modem doesn't work, customer service, 40 minutes, transfer you to another one, after three hours they have disconnected you, you have to call again. Why do you think we have all this aggravation? If you learn to rush and save you from all this. If you don't learn to rush and say, your time is worthless. Let you spend it on customer service or returning the defected suit or the car that you just in, uh, uh, ordered from the dealer, brand new, smell brand new, all of a sudden transmission problem, recall, go there, spend your whole day, all these aggravations non-stop, this boy, surgery, another one, do this, business, problems, uh, you miss the flight, you have to wait in the airport two days, there's no flight, smoke all over Europe, Hashem sends a lot of reminders, wake up my son. Your life is faultless. Wake up before you miss everything. Wake up. Bad luck, bad luck. They found the way out. Bad luck, Rabbi. My whole day was spent in the airport. Bad luck. No, not bad luck. If you dedicate all your time for Torah, Hashem will save you from all this, what you call bad luck. But since you're not a male, Hashem sent you other things to be busy with. If you put all your efforts in my Torah, Hashem says, Count on me to pay you a huge reward that I owe you. But that's only if you put all your efforts. The 11th Mishnah, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says, I'll say mitzvah If a person does a mitzvah, when he dies, one lawyer come to protect him, an image of an angel that is created from that mitzvah. So for instance, you saw a poor person looking in the garbage to eat, you went, you brought him food to eat, one mitzvah. This mitzvah created an angel. This angel has on his forehead the date, the time, and the image of the mitzvah. When you go to trial, the Satan brings all the bad sins. All the sins that you made is black angels. They all come to testify for each sin. 
this guy comes, this, I was created when he stole. I was created when he lied. I was created when he beat up his wife. I was created when he, he didn't learn Torah. They're all coming. But they're good angels. They come also, they try to help you. I was created when he gave money to the poor. I was created when he ate matzah in Lela Seder. I was created for misfilin. Konelo praklit echad. Praklit means a, san, a, a sanegor, which is protecting you. Aover averachad, for every sin, there is a prosecutor that waiting for the judgment day to come and testify. Tshuva o maasim tovim, and if a person makes tshuva, repentance, and change his life and become a better person, that's like a screen that prevents all these bad angels to come to testify and prosecute him. It's like a protection, like a wall. All these terrorists cannot enter. Why? Because you made a wall around you. It's very hard for them to enter. You understand? So, ketris bifne aboranot, from all the tragedies. Rabbi Yochanan Asandlar, the biggest rabbi in the world, but he's a shoemaker. Did you ever see today that the biggest rabbi in the world will have a little place and he fix shoes? You come, <laughs> he knows all the Torah by heart, all the Kabbalah, everything, fix shoes. With nails, some put some glue. Why? They didn't want to live off the people's expense. Let me support myself, I work two, three hours, I make some money to live today, I go to the yeshiva. So, Rabbi Yochanan Asandlar says, gathering for the sake of heaven, mitzvah, words of Torah, a meal, Shabbos meal, a brit, brit milah, gathering for a mitzvah, so finally it would, it would leave an eternal impression on the creation. Such gathering. Vechol knesia she'ena l'shem shamayim, Clowns, gossip, sports, basketball, baseball, swimming, all kinds of things that people look to have fun, Rabbi. I want to have fun. All this having fun, so far, lead batel. And so far, lead kayen. Doesn't leave any good impression. Immediately, it's, it's over. Rabbi Elazar ben Shamoa says, respect all your students like you respect yourself. Respect your friends like you respect your rabbi. And respect your rabbi exactly like you respect Hashem because he's your representative. He's representative in the world. We almost finished that chapter. Amash very close to the end. Rabbi Yehuda says, Evezair batalmud. When you learn, you have to be very careful. It's not history. It's a big deal. You don't remember what year Alexandros Mokdon was the king. <laughs> big deal. Who cares? don't remember at what year the, uh, the war started between the south and the north. Big deal. Nobody ever suffered from you forgetting. But if you forget an halacha and somebody call you or ask you a question what to do, is my wife pure? Is she not pure? Am I allowed? Uh, is this meat kosher or not? This is tragedy. No, it's like a surgeon, brain surgeon that forgot if to cut from here or to there. So he gambled. He goes from the right and he killed the patients. Understand? Over here, an important doctor has no right to mistake, to make mistake. No right. Lawyer cannot make mistake. It can be a death sentence to the person. Needless to say, Rabbi, because lawyer and doctor is from this life. 20, 30 years, that's it. Subject, the mistake can make a third years of tragedy or a third years of good. That's all. 
the rabbi is going to be for billions of years, because if the rabbi told you, yeah, yeah, you're allowed. You're allowed to do it, and you made an Isur Karev. The chain reaction, that night you have a baby that is not good, we suffer from you for 30 years. It's a chain reaction, why? So that's called Shigega Talmud Olazadon. If a person is reckless, is, is not careful when he learns, he answers right away without double checking, it's count like he did it on purpose. Why? Of course the rabbi didn't want the person who asked him a question to make a scene, but he made a mistake in his answer. It count like it did it on purpose. Why? Because he wasn't careful. Not being careful, showing that you can, you can, you're careless. You could have gone and take the book and double check and call him back in five minutes. Since you were lazy or it wasn't important enough for you, you gave him the wrong answer and you made him make a horrible scene. So it's count like, that's why all the people say, Rabbi, better not to know. If I don't know, at least I'm not guilty of doing it on purpose. It's innocent mistakes, wrong. Not learning in order for you not to know makes you guilty in everything. Not like some people think, since I do not know, I'm not guilty, Rabbi. No, you are more guilty because you had the time to learn not to do and you chose on purpose not to know. No, no, don't tell me the halacha. If I know, I'm going to have to do it. <laughs> you have to do it whether you know or whether you don't know. Who made you this idea that you think that if you don't know, you are dismissed? It doesn't work that way. Tell it to the judge in court that he didn't know you have to drive 55. Let's see if it's going to help. Uh, Rabbi Shimon say, three crowns. There are three crowns in the world. Keter Torah, the crown of someone who knows Torah, he deserves a crown. Keter Kehuna, someone is come from the family of Aaron Akohen, so it's a special honor, Kohanim. The Keter Malchut, and a crown of a king, King David, King Solomon, King Hiskiyahu, all the kings. From the three crowns, which crown is the most important, the Mishnah say, Keter Torah is the most important better than Keter of Kohen, better than Keter of, uh, of, the, of, the, of the king. The Keter Shem Tov, if you have good reputation, everybody loves you, you know you're a clean person, you have good midot, good traits, you're not a thief, you're walking with your yamaka, but you deserve it. You're a kosher person, not a fake one. Ole al gabehen, it's better than all three of them. Which means, not only you know Torah, you live according to the Torah, it elevates you to a very, very high level. Rabbi Noorai say, Heve gole lemakom Torah. Run after the Torah. Don't wait for the Torah to come to you. Why don't you move to a place of Torah? No, one day they'll open yeshiva here in my town, I'm sure. No, right now there's none. You run after the Torah. Don't wait for the Torah to come to you. And don't count on your wisdom. Remember, you can be a very wise person, you can be very smart, the Torah is always smarter than you. Eliminate your wisdom compared to the Torah wisdom. If you think this is the right way, still check with the rabbi what Hashem says. Because sometimes you'll be very surprised that the Torah thinks the opposite. I'll give you one example. If a person goes on a, in a desert with one bucket of water, and he has his best friend, he loves his friend more than he loves himself, his friends, that's, he owes a lot to his friends, his friends help him so much. There's enough water for one of them to survive until they reach water. If they both split the water half enough, they both die. What will he do? 
Is he allowed to give it to his friend to drink and the friend save his life and he died, he sacrificed his life to save his friend? Most people would say, wow, what a righteous guy. He gave his own life to his friend to save his friend. What a tzaddik. What does the Torah say? Rasha. The opposite. He committed suicide. Why? He gave his, the life to his friend. The Torah says, your brother should live with you. Why the Torah use that expression? And your brother should live with you. Which means you first and then your brother. You understand? If you, you can save yourself or somebody else, you have to save yourself. That's why many times people want to be more righteous than what the Torah obligates. They give their life to others and in the end they die. No. The Torah didn't say. I'm not talking if the other person is a chief rabbi, if he teaches thousands of people, or if a guy that donates to thousands of people to learn Torah, then you can already compare, maybe there is permission to sacrifice your life. We're talking, you are ordinary person, your friend is an ordinary person, your life comes first. Rabbi Anai says, Tor, I think that that's enough for today. The rest we're gonna do, this is a very long chapter. This chapter is, is the longest one here. So far, 20, 22, Mishnayot, this chapter is. Uh, this, cha this chapter has 22 Mishnayot. We are in the 15th one. So, Bezrat Hashem, next week, I believe we will finish the fourth chapter. Thank you very much, Levi. Thank